All right. Well, good morning. It's great uh, to be able to worship together uh, this morning, a beautiful, chilly morning. I see like winter coats and sweaters. This is the day we get to wear them in Houston. So it's exciting. Um, uh, It's a great uh, opportunity for us as we've been worshiping and praying to encounter the Lord Jesus. That's why we're here, to be in his presence, uh, to allow him to speak to us and be at work in our midst. And so I'm excited uh, for us to do that this morning by hearing his word um, preached, proclaimed. We're looking in the book of Romans. We kicked that off last week. And so I want to invite you, if uh, you have a Bible, to open up to Romans chapter one. Uh, Those verses that uh, Peter just read for us, that's where we're going to be this morning, Romans chapter one. And as we get rolling in this series, as I said last week, very excited. I really feel like the Lord is um, inviting us into this book as a means of Uh, refreshing and reviving and uh, kindling our heart, uh, that our affections would burn brighter and bigger for Jesus uh, because we have encountered him in his word. That's our prayer and our hope. So we're in the book of Romans chapter one. And so uh, with your Bibles open, uh, I wanted to start with a question. I was curious, just think about this with me. When was the last time that you uh, got a phone call with some really good news. Someone called you and they had some really good news to share with you. Um, Maybe it was a call you've been waiting for for a long time that kind of came in finally. Maybe it was uh, uh, something that you were excited to get because it was something you desperately needed uh, to hear from somebody. But I want you to think about when was the last time you got a call with some really good news? So maybe, for example, it was uh, you got a call from a guy or girl that you'd had your eye on, right? And they called you or they returned your call. Um, Maybe it was, hey, congrats, you got the job, right? Amen, yeah. (laughs) Maybe it was uh, that the results came back, right? And everything looks good. Praise God. Maybe it was uh, some of you are in this season of life. Uh, hey, mom and dad, I want to let you know we're expecting, right? Great news. A phone call that you got where you got some really good news. I want to talk this morning about what it feels like to get good news. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard, there's a man named William Tyndall. Anybody know that name? So William Tim- Tyndall was an uh, uh, Englishman in the 16th century, and he uh, is known because he translated the Bible from Greek and Hebrew to English. And um, this is what he wrote. Uh, He was a student of Greek, and he wrote this about the Greek word for good news, which is euangelion. Uh, And so uh, that's the word that we translate gospel most often in the New Testament. This is what he said. He said, euangelion is a Greek word signifying good, merry, glad, and joyful news that makes man's heart glad and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. So when we encounter this word gospel this morning, I want you to hold that in your head. That's what we're talking about. A a word that literally means glad, merry, joyful news that should make us dance with joy. In his letter to the Romans, Paul talks about the gospel here in a lot. I hope you heard that as Peter was reading. The word gospel comes up again and again in Romans chapter 1. Paul is making his version of a phone call, right, to the church in Rome through this letter. And he's got good news 
on the phone for them. And so he's sharing this good news, this good news that's changed his life and that he believes will change their lives. And so he's telling them about this good news of Jesus Christ, news that will make their hearts glad and make them sing and dance and leap for joy. And so if there's one overarching theme, as you're kind of thinking about the book of Romans, because we're going to be in this for a while, but if there's one thing that kind of holds it all together, Paul is laying that out for us here in chapter one, and that thing is the gospel itself. The overarching central theme of the letter of Romans is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what I want us to do this morning is to look at Romans 1 and look and see what Paul tells us here about the gospel because he's setting up the rest of the letter for us in terms of what the gospel is and what it means. So first thing that Paul tells us about the gospel actually came in our reading last week. So I wanna flip back to Romans 1, verse 1, where it says this. It says that Paul was set apart, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, to be set apart for something means to be called to do something. It's kind of like being given a task or, or a job. You're set apart for this duty, this role, this responsibility. So for Paul, the task was proclaiming the gospel. He makes that really clear right up front. He's proclaiming the gospel to his own people, the Jewish people, and to the nations, the Gentiles. And so Paul is calling himself one who is set apart. He also calls himself two other things here. Look at verse one. He calls himself a servant and an apostle. He calls himself a servant and an apostle. To be a servant of God meant that his calling had come from Jesus himself. This happened all throughout Scripture in the Old Testament. Yahweh would call on someone to to come to be set apart for what he had called them to be a servant of the Most High God. And, And Paul is stepping into that. But Jesus, on the road to Damascus, has called him himself. It was a divine calling, and it was a calling to be an apostle. An apostle specifically is one through whom Jesus would establish the foundation of his church. But also, an apostle is one who is sent by Jesus as a messenger, as a missionary, sent out into the world and devoted to this life calling of proclaiming the gospel. So Paul says that he's set apart, but here's what's interesting. In in chapter one, he says too that they are set apart. So he calls the people in Rome, the church in Rome. He says to them, look, you too are called. In verse seven, we see this. He calls them what? Saints. He calls them those who are saints, that is holy ones. Saints doesn't mean perfect people not like us. It means people just like us who are set apart. It means set apart ones. And so he's saying to them, look, I've been set apart and you've been set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what's amazing in that is that we too are set apart. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself as one who has been set apart for the gospel. But that's what Paul is teaching here. He's saying, as followers of Jesus, you and I have been set apart for the gospel. We have a divine calling from Jesus himself to proclaim the gospel. Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered this. Have you ever wondered, what is my life purpose? What what is my life aim? What am I called to be? What am I called to do? Now, there's callings, small c callings for all of us. But I think what Paul is pointing to here is there's a big c calling for all of us. And that big C calling is that we are all set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So first, we are set apart. That's our life's calling. The second thing we learn about the gospel is that we are to be eager to proclaim the gospel to everyone. Eager to proclaim the gospel to everyone. Paul is enthusiastic about this call to be set apart. He's eager to live it out. It's the desire of his heart. For Paul, the gospel isn't just cold kind of doctrines or beliefs. Okay, check, check, check. The gospel, I've got it. For him, the gospel is much more than that. It fuels his passions and it deepens his affections. And so often the book of Romans is, is kind of understood to be this kind of doctrinal treatise, and it is. It gives us this really beautiful picture of what God is like and what God has done in the person of Jesus, and it's doctrinal. But what's amazing is when you encounter Romans in chapter one, it's also very revealing of Paul's heart. It's a book that comes from his heart. So just look at what he says. Let's go kind of look through and do a quick survey. Verse eight, this is what he says. Keep in mind, these are people he's never met. He's never met these people. He's never been to Rome. He didn't help start this church. But this is what he says. He says, verse eight, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. That's his heart. He's so grateful for them. Verse nine, without ceasing, I remember you always in my prayers. Verse 11, I long to see you. You know what it feels like when you long to see someone? Paul longs to see them. Verse 11, that I might share with you some spiritual gift. And that spiritual gift, why? So that they could be mutually encouraged. Verse 12, verse 13, for I've often wanted to come to you. You get this picture of his, his heart, the heart behind all that he's gonna say in this letter. Paul loves them. He wants what's best for them. He wants to encourage them and give them this gift. And in a sense, the gift that he wants to give them is encapsulated in this letter. It's the gospel itself. He wants to give them this great gift, the gospel. Verse 13, he says, that I might have a harvest also among you, even as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles, to both Greeks and barbarians, to both the wise and the unlearned. I am in debt. I like how the NIV says it. I'm in debt. I, in other words, I owe so much because of all that I have in Jesus. I can't help but share it. I'm in debt. It's my desire, he says, to preach the gospel also to you in Rome. So here's what's fascinating to me about this. <clears throat> As we're reading through this uh, opening chapter and he's talking about the gospel and his desire to come and pre preach the gospel, uh, he says he wants to have a harvest presumably among the unconverted, but at the same time he's writing to the church. So Paul is writing to the church and what he says to them is, I wanna come to you and I wanna proclaim the gospel to you. Now, the question should immediately pop up, well, don't they already have the gospel? I mean, this is the church. These are Christians. Don't they already have the gospel? Why does Paul feel compelled to tell them he's gonna come and he's gonna proclaim the gospel to them? In other words, why do Christians need the gospel? Don't, isn't that for non-Christians? Don't they need the gospel? Don't they need to hear it? When I was uh, a kid, I remember seeing these posters, and maybe they're still around. I hadn't seen one in a long time, but uh, it had a big apple on the top, and then it said, everything I ever needed to uh, learn, I learned in kindergarten. Everything I ever needed to learn about life, I learned in kindergarten. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever seen those? Yeah, and then it's got all these kind of lists underneath it, you know, about all these kind of fun life lessons and life hacks that you learn when you're in kindergarten. It's interesting, that, that poster is based on a famous book that came out in the mid-80s by a name named Robert Fulgham. 
And the poster basically is listing all these kind of like life lessons, right? And so I was looking at some of these life lessons on this poster, and I was like, man, this is so stuff that our, our culture reads right now. Like, here's what we need, right? All that we learned in kindergarten, play fair, right, as adults, all right? Don't hit people, okay? Always flush. Wash your hands. Amen, right? Milk and cookies are good for you. Take a nap every afternoon. That's a big amen. So here's what struck me. The power of Fulgham's premise is that while some of these things are kind of like basics and they're really just for little kids, like that's the way we kind of tend to think about it, they're really some things that we need for our whole life. Right? There's, there's a deeper truth that we kind of carry with us. They're not just for kids, they're for life. And I think there's a similar truth with the gospel. The truth is you are never too mature a Christian to hear the gospel. Right? You're never beyond it. You never kind of outgrow it. And I love what Tim Keller says. He says, the gospel isn't the ABCs, it's the A to Z. Right? And so it's, it's everything. And, and I think even further what we could say, and this is maybe a dissimilarity, the, the gospel's not like Christianity 101. Like if we think about it that way, we miss it. It's way bigger than that. In fact, the apostle Peter, he pushes back on that idea in 1 Peter 1.12. When he talks about the gospel, he says it's been given from heaven. It's been revealed. What's been revealed all through the ages, through the prophets, through the, through the law, and now through Jesus. This gospel that's been revealed from heaven, what he says is the angels themselves long to look into it, to understand it. The depths and the breadths of the gospel, even heavenly beings can't comprehend. And so this gospel is deeper and bigger and greater and more amazing than we can ever possibly comprehend. It's not just the ABCs and one, two, three. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a reminder, I think. Paul is encouraging us, don't let that mentality creep in. The gospel was everything for Paul. And what's more, it wasn't just everything for him, it was for everyone. It was everything to him and it was forever. He was eager to share the gospel out of this deep love for people. And so here, here's, a, here's a powerful truth that I want us to leave here with today. There's no one in your life or my life right now that doesn't need the gospel. There's no one in your life or my life right now, in this moment, today, that doesn't need the gospel. Everyone in your family, think about your family, everyone, your mom and dad, your kids, your brothers and sisters, everybody in your family needs the gospel, every neighbor, every classmate, every coworker, the cashier, the homeless person you pass on the way home, the talking head and the politician on TV, the poor, the rich, every race, every ethnicity, every nation needs the gospel. There's no one in this room right now that doesn't need the gospel. We all need it. It's for everyone, and we ought to be eager, therefore, to proclaim it out of our love for people because we know what God has done for us. So, first,
Paul talks about the fact that he's set apart. Then he talks about the fact that he's eager, invites us to be set apart and eager. And then finally, he talks uh, about being unashamed of the gospel, being unashamed of the gospel. Paul says in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul says he's not embarrassed by this thing uh, called the gospel. He's not reluctant to proclaim the gospel. It's, it's a part of his calling. Uh, he might just as easily have said here, I'm proud to proclaim the gospel, right? He could have said that. It's interesting he didn't say that. And I think it's important because I think in his humility, he chooses to say it this way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In his humility, he declares he's not ashamed, which implies something important, I think, that he's actually tempted to be ashamed. Right? And I take comfort in that. <laughs> and sometimes I think we read Paul, and we could do this in Romans, and think he's a super apostle. He's just not human. He's different. And I think here's a little glimpse into his heart and his struggle. He, he struggles with this. And so he says, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm tempted to be, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's a struggle. That's why he has to say it. Which begs the question, why would Paul, why would the apostle Paul be ashamed of the gospel? I think it's pretty straightforward. I think he's tempted to be ashamed of the gospel for the same reasons we are tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. Think about Paul's life. I told you this comes late in his life. All the things that you read about in Acts, so much of that has already happened. Right? And so he's already proclaimed the gospel, for example, at the Areopagus in Athens, where all the great philosophers gather. And what happens there? He's mocked, he's ridiculed, he's dismissed as he proclaims the gospel. As a Jew in first century Rome, he would have been seen by non-Jews, Gentiles, as strange, just for being Jewish, suspect, something off with him. All these strange food laws and the Sabbath and circumcision, what is all that, right? So he would have been dismissed, seen as an outsider. And now, as a follower of Jesus, not only is he cast off by the Gentiles, seen in that way, he's now cast off by his own people. The Jewish people, most of them reject him as apostate. They throw him out of synagogues, out of the cities. They beat him, they stone him, they leave him for dead. And so I think what, what this is a glimpse into is the fact that Paul is human. Paul is human. He doesn't like being rejected. It's hard when you feel judged and persecuted and you're seen as weird or backwards, or bigoted by the culture around you. And so I think if we're honest, most of us know exactly why he might feel ashamed of the gospel. Because we feel that temptation. It's that temptation, it's that little part of us that wants to pull back, right? It's that part that hesitates when that moment presents itself with the Holy Spirit to just Take that little risky step with a friend in conversation and we say, mm, maybe next time. It's that part of us that wants to, you know, my faith in Jesus is a private thing, really. And so I'm just gonna kind of, I'll be faithful but keep a low profile. And so I think we carry this kind of struggle with shame. And then here's what makes it worse. Satan knows that. You know what he loves to do? He, he loves to make us ashamed of being ashamed. <laughs> but the good news is there's no condemnation in Christ. Grace upon grace upon grace. So no shame. That is not from the Lord. What's true is that you and I have been set apart for the gospel. 
What's true is that you and I, like Paul, are called to proclaim this gospel out of love for our neighbors. And that like Paul, we can say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So, set apart, eager, unashamed. That's us. That's the call on our lives as followers of Jesus. I think that leaves us with one very important question that we have not yet answered. And it's this, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Verse 16 and 17 are seen by most biblical scholars as the central theme of Paul's letter because it answers this very question. What is the gospel? This is what Paul says. The gospel, he says, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's talking about God's plan of redemption, his, his big picture there. This is how he's working salvation through history. He has come to his chosen people, Israel, and now, as he said in the beginning, he's expanding that to include all nations, Jews and Gentiles. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. It's all faith. There's another way to read that. The beginning to end. Your call, what sustains us in this life, it's all faith. For as it is written, the righteousness shall live by faith. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now that may be succinct. I don't know how self-evident some of these things are. And what's awesome is that Paul's gonna unpack this statement over the course of the chapters ahead of us. And and so what I don't wanna do is say, oh, all we have to do is nail down a one-sentence definition and we got the gospel. Uh, Because that's not how it works. Um, But there is a sense in which this mystery called the gospel that he's gonna unpack over the course of Romans and we're gonna get into words like righteousness and talk about grace and talk about salvation. But this huge thing, you could spend your whole life like the angels looking into, it is that, but in the same sense, There is truth to the fact that it's a simple message. It's a simple message. N.T. Wright calls it simply good news. It's a simple message of simply good news, and it has content, and that content can be defined. And so here's the simple message. If I had to put it in words, kind of like Paul's, but maybe just to help us a little, this is the gospel. The gospel is that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved by grace. That is a simple, unadorned gospel. That through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved by grace. What's that saying? It's saying that God, right, through his perfect son, through Jesus' perfect life, atoning death, bodily resurrection, that he has rescued people from the wrath of God and delivered them into the peace of God with a promise of full restoration under his eternal reign, all for his praise and for his glory. That's the gospel. This gift, and that's what it is, it's a gift of salvation. It's not something we earn. It's not something we're ever going to be worthy of. It's given through faith in Jesus. And so what's gonna happen is Paul's gonna take his letter and he's gonna explain this, the righteousness of God, the grace of God, their implications. And he's gonna examine all of that with us in the weeks ahead. But this morning, I just wanna focus uh, here on the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, that statement. The gospel, I think is important, is, it's not just a statement. It's not just a set of ideas. It is power is what Paul says. 
power unto salvation, the power by which we are rescued from sin and from death and we are reborn into new life. It's power for salvation, but it's also the power of ongoing salvation, you could say, or sanctification. It's the power that sustains the whole Christian life. As Paul says, our righteousness in God. You could say our life in God would be another way to say that. And that that's from faith to faith. It begins with faith, it's sustained by faith, it leads to more faith. And so Paul is saying we have no power, no power apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing can save us, nothing can make us whole. If you think about uh, the story of the church in Acts, right? go back to Acts, the very beginning. And what happens there is that Jesus has promised to his disciples that they'll be what? Clothed in power from on high. He says that in Luke chapter 24. And then in Acts 2, that happens. The Holy Spirit comes like a sound of mighty rushing wind. It was the power of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. And it was a fresh power. It, it, it was a divine power, a power from outside themselves, right? sent from heaven. It was this power that wasn't simply boosting what they already had. It was something completely new. And it was of the Lord. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1.5. He says, our gospel has come to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And so it begs the question, how can we possibly take up the name of Jesus Christ without the power of Jesus Christ? We can't. We can't. We need the gospel. We need the truth and the power that we are rescued and restored to life with God only by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If our purposes here as apostles, as a church, are no higher than what we can do in our own power, with our own ingenuity and our gifts and all our great ideas, if it's nothing more than that, then we should stop being a church and just be a community center, right? Doing good things and doing our best to do the good things that we can think of and come up with and throw ourselves into. But that's not what the gospel invites us into. If we're tired of our best, if we can acknowledge how far we've fallen short, then we're let, ready to, to live gospel-empowered lives. So how can we experience this gospel as the power of God for salvation? I just wanna give one practical thing that I think that we could do as a church and we can do as followers of Jesus. The beautiful, simple, earth-shattering, life-transforming answer about how we live into this gospel power is that we experience the gospel life with God through faith. That's what Paul says. It's through faith. Faith that his righteousness is enough. Faith that his grace is enough. You know, maybe that sounds just too simple. Right? It's just faith? That's the answer? Faith? And maybe that sounds easy. I just want to tell you, in my personal experience, that's not easy. It may be simple, but it's not easy. Having faith in God, it means not having faith in me. And I'll just confess, that is a struggle for me. Not having faith in ourselves, not putting our faith in other people. I struggle with that one too. Putting my faith in others rather than God, not trusting ourselves to other powers in this world. It means resisting the temptation to think, I got this in our lives. And I'm prone to do that too. 
I'm prone to thinking and functioning in a way that I would say, okay, God, if I need a power boost, I'll call you. But I got this. I got this. Maybe I'll stop by next week, but right now I got this. And if we wanna be people marked by the power of the gospel, if apostles wants to be a church marked by the power of the gospel, we need to become more and more and more and more dependent on God and his power. I need to do that. We need to do that. One of the clear marks of a people who are convinced the gospel is the power of God for their salvation, a people growing more dependent on God, is prayer. It's prayer. It's a people marked by prayer. Gospel people are marked by a passion for prayer. And this is what I've come to realize, that a passion for prayer is not something you can create. You can't manufacture it. You can't set up a program that's gonna get you there. It's really hard to get on board with a prayer program (laughs) because it's not something that just kind of you sign up for. It it comes out of a deep sense of humility and surrender and brokenness. And you know, nothing kills the passion for prayer more than pride. I love um, what Ray Ortland said talking about this and this passion for prayer and its connection to the power of the gospel. I just want to read this to you. He wrote in his little book called The Gospel. I know of only one infallible way to get a church praying and to keep praying for the power of God. We need to fail. We need to fail so badly and obviously that we find out how much we really do trust ourselves rather than God. We need to be shocked by the collapse of our best methods. But what a blessing our catastrophic disasters can become, even with all their misery and shame, if they turn us back to God. See, every day we face choices. Are we gonna aim to be impressive today? Are we gonna expect to be in control today? Are we gonna do all we can to come out on top? Or will we be content for the power of Christ to rest on us in our endless weakness? To know his peace and his grace and his healing and his joy. We've been set apart for the gospel, which is the power of salvation. Set apart to eagerly proclaim this gospel, to live unashamed of this gospel. And so if we humbly submit ourselves and by faith receive God's forgiveness, we can be made righteous, we can have this life with him that we long for and we're made for today and every day and for eternity. This is the good news. And this is what we're gonna explore in the weeks ahead, this gospel of Jesus Christ. And my hope is that it will make our hearts glad and that we will want to sing and dance and leap for joy. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gospel. Thank you, Lord, for your grace upon grace. And Lord, that we can have life with you because not 
of anything we've done, but because of who you are and what you have done for us out of your great love for us. Lord, you have rescued us from sin and death through faith in your son, Jesus, the resurrected Lord and Savior of our lives. Lord, we can know the fullness of life with you now and for eternity. We praise you for that truth. We pray that you would help us to dive deep into that truth as we move forward. Lord, that we would become a gospel-empowered people, proclaiming the gospel to a gospel-hungry world. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.